Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Uh, this guy has testified at the UN. Uh, he's recording a TV show right now, which uh, we'll be seeing coming up here soon. Uh, he's been featured on Conan O'Brien. He is the author of Farewell of My Subaru, First Legal Harvest, Hemp Bound. He is a hemp farmer, my close friend, Mr. Doug Fine. As I um, get my laptop out of my hemp laptop sleeve, antimicrobial for those dirty uh, airplane trays, you know what I mean? Made by my sweetheart. I guess we'll get into a little bit more of my uh, hemp here, a little TMI, my, my underwear is hemp, my pants are hemp. This is hemp that I actually was blessed to help grow, that turned into this farm-to-table product. It's the flowers infused from the seeds in the same, from the same crop. So this is real, right? Everybody here, you recognize we're winning this thing, right? Yeah? You feeling good about that? We're winning. We're winning. We're winning. Here, and I'm looking around and I see people who have but uh, Ross back there, people who've been in jail for this plant, for this plant that God gave us, and I don't take it for granted for a second that we are finally winning. What I'm talking about now is connecting the dots. Real world, like it used to be you could be a teacher or a dentist or whatever you wanted to be. If you're getting into ganja hemp, first step, first thought is how is this gonna be part of humanity's survival? because this cannabis industry is the most impactful development in society since the automobile in Silicon Valley. And imagine Steve Jobs facing jail time for arguing that lives might be improved by laptops and cell phones. Personally, I'm into human survival. We're all in the ninth inning and this is the only not totally positive thing I'm gonna say today. And even it is positive if you look at the end game, which is, if you don't realize we are in the ninth inning, bottom of the ninth inning for humanity right now, go step outside and look at the air outside this hotel here. It's poison. We're living, we're breathing poison. And the good news is we can heal, heal humanity from this simple plant as we, everybody here knows. I'm just gonna speak for a few minutes here before bringing on a panel and bringing on uh, Preston to introduce it. But this is Kaya Fest. 40th anniversary of an album that we all know is a beautiful album and today I'm going to talk about connecting the dots in our lives and our cannabis hemp work about pace okay Kaya is a paced album have you ever noticed how relaxed you feel when you listen to the Kaya album just listen to it straight through all the way through it's there's he's feeling there's a piece in that poetry before confrontation there's don't rock my boat Excuse me while I land my spliff. Easy skanking is my is my ringtone, and uh, that's gotten into, gotten me into a little bit of fun situations. You know, when you're meeting with Babylon and all that. 
So, first of all, thank you, Saba, Preston, everyone in the family who brought me in here today and brought all of these incredible speakers. I don't think I have ever learned so much from one morning of speakers. Everybody had so much great to say. I'm so appreciative. We all know that nowhere do we travel where Bob Marley's words are not part of an uplifting message of spiritual, personal, and political uh, liberation. So before I get off the topic of Bob Marley, I just want to say I hope someone, and if there are grad students here looking for a thesis topic, I hope somebody is studying the neuroscience of why the skankin bee developed on this one island in the middle of the Caribbean has provided the most important philosophical delivery system planet-wide for the past century. It's an amazing thing. Anyway, I'm just back from uh, what feels like too long, actually, now since there are of my family FaceTiming, uh, FaceTiming with me from our Funky Bee Ranch in New Mexico. It's been too long since I've been playing with our baby goats there. It was about a week since I've been home. Between then, I was up at the first Native American permitted hemp farm in modern times, the Colville Tribe in Washington, where I'm the lead consultant, and we're doing 120 acres with the Colville Tribe this year, selling a roasted hemp seed uh, pro project and I'm energized because I have my fingers in the dirt, right? So this is the first thing I want to say about connecting the dots. If you're starting a hemp enterprise, cannabis enterprise, anything kind of enterprise with this plant, and the people coming to you are not talking to you about the well-being of the soil or not talking about the farmer and how the farmer is going to be written in at every stage of the process instead of ripped off like farmers always get ripped off with the lowest possible commodity prices, that's not your investor, no matter how big their check their check is. Okay, believe me, I've learned. I'm talking to you about lessons I've learned in the last. This is a farmer-driven renaissance for humanity in the digital age. The Pacific Garbage Patch is now twice the size of Texas. There's this terrific TV show, this Canadian show we like to watch on YouTube, five-minute segments called How It's Made. And it says how everything is made, every industrial product is made, okay? You look up ball bearings, truck mufflers, there's an episode of this show about it. But there's this terrible don't ask, don't tell moment in every episode, if you watch this on YouTube, where they say, after being shaped into the form of a muffler, the uh, steel is soaked in a chemical bath for two hours, and, it, and I'm always like, whoa, 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 chemical bath, because... I had my kids are under the truck touching that. What, chem what kind of chemicals? What kind? Right. So, given that my family is my life, as I'm sure that's that's true for everyone, this is what I mean by connecting the dots. We actually can correct the one mistake that our society has made, the biggest mistake, which is not figuring in the long-term game plan. Instead of thinking about next gen next quarter's profits, we think seven generations down the line. In 2013, my family's life changed when a 130,000-acre wildfire in the wilderness behind our house sent a bear into our backyard that killed all our goats. And we were all outside. It was scary. It was dangerous. Um, and ever since then, I knew that it was time to think about mitigating climate change. So how does this connect to ganja and hemp? It's about how we celebrate this ganja victory. First of all, let's be kind to the people that we defeated. I don't think we need to send them to jail for war crimes. I like better the South African model of Truth and Reconciliation Committee. If William Sessions and all the other horrible people that want to come forward and confess their crimes and admit to what they've done, um, most of them are already joining our industry, but um, I think we don't need to throw them uh, in prison. But like good primates, we need to learn from our, misstep, our missteps 
and where we didn't have in our society was pace. So when you start your ganja business, when you start your hemp business, first off, think about healing the soil. It doesn't mean that it can't be regenerative. Think about treating the farmer and the customer as family. Think about, in practical terms, what does this mean? We harvested our Vermont hemp crop. This product was harvested on a combine that was run on vegetable oil instead of petroleum. So take little baby steps in your, in your lives. My sweetheart has a rule in our house. It's called no more plastic crap. It may seem cheaper to go to the box store and buy a piece of crap that's gonna work for a couple of months. Buy everything that you can, everything that you can locally. That's the local food, local everything. And the last thing I wanna say before I bring Preston back up here and we start this next panel on unity is that we truly can do this. Has everybody seen these before? Some of you guys might know this. The Alaska governor just signed his hemp bill with, with one of these. It's a pen made out of hemp plastic, 3D printed. That's how the Pacific Garbage Patch is going to be reduced, and this is how humanity is going to be saved. Now, connecting the dots, my 10-year-old and my 8-year-old, hi guys, love you, um, they're working on ink for this right now. What are they using for ink? Any guesses? Yeah, they're mixing hemp oil with charcoal and they're dyeing it with blueberry juice and other dyes and it's working out really well. Um, we had a big fight with uh, pinion pine pitch the other day. The sticky goop, that beautiful smelling sap from pine trees and my, my son threw a, uh, a goop of it at me and it hit my calf and 10 days later, it's still I still have a stain of this pine sap on my calf. Why am I telling you this? Because our glues, our binders, all of the stuff that makes up our industrial pipeline is toxic. That's why the air is poisoned out there from the factories that make this crap. What if pine pitch does just as good a job? That's all I'm saying. Keep it simple, keep it regional, and the last thing I'll say is if you're in a, it's about the economy, stupid person, like if that's your thing, is it's all about bottom line and business, Cooperative models and regional models can be very lucrative. Blue Diamond Almonds right here in California is a multi-billion dollar co-op. Organic Valley is a multi-billion dollar co-op. The question is, do we want just a few sources for all the wonderful things in our lives, or do we want to support lucrative, regenerative regional sources for industrial economy? The end game is not a stock buyout, people. The end game is healthy communities and healthy uh, families and communities seven generations down the line. God bless you all. Thank you so much for having me. Gonna bring back Preston up. I gotta say a word about Preston. He's one of the smartest and kindest people in, in hemp. That's all I have to say. He is, when the words come out of his mouth, they come out humbly and there's truth embedded in it every time. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mr. Morris Beagle, owner of NOCO Hemp Expo, Tree Free Hemp, uh, and many, many others. So, how's everybody doing? It's great to be here. What a beautiful day. And before I get going, I want to go ahead and bring up uh, Rick Trojan and Dan Hare, who are going to join us on this panel as we talk about unity. And I want to reiterate one thing that Denisha said today as she kicked it off, and that is that this plant needs ambassadors. And we've got ambassadors throughout the room here. Everybody up here on this stage is an ambassador. 
Preston is an ambassador. He's been going off into the world, young man, and he's been delivering the message. And all these guys have been doing it. And I've been fortunate as I got into this uh, industry here, really five years ago, six years ago in 2012, when Colorado passed Amendment 64 and we legalized marijuana, which we're gonna talk about that word as we get further in depth, because that's one of the topics we're gonna talk about, marijuana, cannabis, ganja, hemp, and the terminology that we use. But this industry needs ambassadors, it needs education, and what's been happening this last five or six years is a whole bunch of us have been standing up together, united, and on the shoulders of people who've been doing this for decades, people that are in this room, Dion, who put on this amazing event just this last weekend in San Diego on Earth Day. He did a cannabis village in Balboa Park as part of the largest Earth Day festival in the world. And it was beautiful how he brought together cannabis companies, not only from California, but from all across the country. And a bunch of us came out from Colorado and we got to share and, and, and educate together. And, and there were some amazing speakers there who've been doing this for a long time, Chris Conrad and Chris Boucher. And, but anyway, it was a beautiful thing. And, and this keeps happening over and over again. And, and being able to bring these people together and these networking and educational symposium things I just think is it's really important because we can magnify and amplify the energy that's truly going to once and for all in prohibition and open up the possibilities for this plan so big hands to everybody who's been working on that for such a long time and what I'd like to do now is I'd just like to let these guys all kind of you already heard from Doug a little bit but I'd like for Rick and for Dan to kind of just give a little bit of overview of where they come from and, and the path that they've taken in the last several years to, to reach out to those people within their own little ecosystem and their circle of influence to, to educate and to, to get people on board for this important mission. Rick, you wanna start? Sure, yeah, thanks, Morris. So my name is Rick Trojan. I have a, a bus I've driven around the country for the last three years called the Hemp Road Trip. Uh, it started three years ago. I have a hemp farm. Uh, I was co-owner of a hemp farm in Colorado. And we grew 300 acres, which was the largest hemp farm at that time. And, uh, but we couldn't sell our CBD, or it was great, we couldn't sell our CBD to people in Kansas. And, and it was because of this Controlled Substances Act law that I read about, and I'm like, this is just stupid. We should stop doing that. Cannabis can make clothing, it can make a ton of other things that aren't harmful. Uh, I didn't know how little I didn't know at the time. So I bought a bus and thought I'd just go talk to Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and we'd tell them about cannabis, and it was safe and good, and we'd be good to go. So. Uh, super naive, obviously that didn't happen. Uh, but I've been around the country, all 48 states, I've been around the world now, uh, South America, North America, Europe, um, learning about this plant, finding out what this plant can do and what it can't do, and it's completely harmless. You cannot overdose from this plant at all. Uh, and just the misinformation we've been told for the last 80 years, uh, 90 years, and how it became illegal and the just different stories. And I, I mean, I got to the library in Denver where the first arrest for marijuana was made, and in 1939, I think, 38. Uh, and the whole story was bullshit. Like the whole thing was made up. The hotel didn't even exist. The address didn't exist when I cross-referenced it with the city map. Like it was the two people that they'd never met and the one guy was caught drinking Sterno, you know, when they cook your, your meal and he was drinking Sterno and then allegedly beating his wife because it makes you go crazy because it's Sterno, right? Like, so so that was all, it was all made up and I realized how deep and how 
intentional the misinformation was back then. And so it made me kind of question everything from our healthcare system to our political, the whole thing kind of, you know, I guess the cards kind of came down, but it really came down to, uh, we wrote a book and it was called The Hemp Roadmap and we tried to define what is hemp versus marijuana versus cannabis, right? So, and I have experts that are friends, like these guys, we've all asked the same question and I asked the question about 80 people and I probably got 100 answers, right? So we couldn't really figure out what was what. And when it came down to it, what we finally decided to make sense is that it's all cannabis, right? It is all cannabis. And it's also, also not harmful, right? So it's hemp, it's cannabis. The term marijuana was a term in the 1920s that they've taken, they've used that term. They misspelled it in the first place to pass the Marijuana Tax Act. But then they've also been using marijuana to divide us and to, to divide the plant. So you have medical marijuana. Is it recreational marijuana? Is it adult use? Here's the thing. If we take away the use of the term marijuana, right, and we've taken away their power and control over it, because you can grow cannabis, eight, five, three, six percent cannabis, THC cannabis that can make a scarf, right? Or you can grow two, three percent cannabis that can make a dietary supplement. We do that on one of the farms. So it, it's all cannabis, it's time to get over the bullshit and get over it. And if I'm gonna talk to you about it's hemp versus cannabis versus marijuana, I'll take the extra five, 10 seconds and tell you that it's all cannabis and it's all safe. And so uh, the real push that I think it, it's, there's euphoric cannabis and non-euphoric, but it's dependent on its end use. You can grow it for either, you can grow it for both, but it's all how it's in, it's in use. And so if we stop using the term marijuana, these marijuana raids, it's marijuana this, that. It's all cannabis, it's all safe. Let's stop the fear, stop being dumb. And that's really what we're about. And that's that's what we've come to in the past you know, four years of traveling around the world. And I'd like us to, to move forward. We don't wanna use the 1937 term for what we're doing now in 2018. I think it's time for us to move past old and uh, old terms that are used to divide us and, and really uplift the entire plant and our entire message. Before Dan gets going here, um, I think you've heard several times today about Jack Hare, and Jack has been an influence to many, many, many people in this room and around the world for the cannabis plant. And he was an influence for me, um, influence for everybody that's up here on the panel, and obviously being the son of Jack has probably carried great burden, but I can say without a doubt that Dan is his own man, and he's, you know, he's certainly carrying on the legacy. He's not in his father's shadow. He's been an inspiration to me when we first connected in 2015, and he came out to NOCO Hemp Expo, and we had done a deal with some box sets, and, and we really got to know each other, and we got to spend some good time together over the last several years, and, and this guy is a really important part of the puzzle, and he's just, continuing to build on his father's legacy, which is a great legacy and which has laid the foundation for, for putting it over the finish line. And we're gonna do it. We are gonna do it. Take it away, Dan. Uh, my name is Dan Heller and uh, I sort of grew up in this space. I didn't choose it. Um, it just became part of my life and part of my understanding as, as a young adult and, and into my adulthood. Um, watching and learning from my father. Um, there's a great many things that he would be absolutely uh, in awe of these days. Um, the advancements in technologies and the understanding of this plant has really started to change the landscape of what we're doing, how we're doing, and where we're going to go with this. Um, 
I've been very lucky to get an education sort of on the street with this, not necessarily through schools. And the only uh, books that I had, uh, <laughs> or book, uh, in a sense, was a book that my father wrote that I got to read multiple times. And I still do every, every year or so. I, I read it and I find something new uh, that I've missed or overlooked or read past too quickly. And the, the one thing that I, that I understand and th the thing that I see um, happening right now is there's this great explosion of economic development within this space. And it's fantastic. It's, it's lifting um, some communities up and at the same time, it's tearing other communities down. Um, and the communities that it's affecting most harshly are the ones that created the foundation, the understanding, uh, at least here in California, uh, of, of the small farmer. The small farmer is really what created the, the nuances in this plant that are recognized around the globe. And they're in jeopardy because of economic development within the space from people who are just coming into it for those uh, benefits. Not necessarily the benefit of the community, but the benefit of their bank accounts. The only way that I see um, really combating that is, is to take a, a step back from how fast we're moving forward and make sure that we understand where we came from and how important this plant was to how we developed as a nation, how we developed as a country, how we were able to uh, put things in place that made our lives better, you know, from our clothing to our medicine to how we created safety within this country prior to the Industrial Revolution. And if we, if we can take some, if we can take some look back at that and and apply those to the future what's important how are we going to get there how is it going to make us uh, a better safer more prosperous not just our country but a prosperous world and it's really by embracing the things that makes this plant special what makes this plant special is not the money that's made from it what makes this plant special is what can be done with it and those things are lifting up communities, empowering uh, individuals to create products through technologies that, that give us a better, healthier way of life. Right now, uh, we've talked about how the ecosystem is being changed by the development or has been changed by development over the past hundred years um, through this absolute mind-boggling pace of industrial development. We're finally being able to use some of those technologies and understanding how we're able to use this plant to change how we make products. And we not only have an opportunity at this time to really not just try to survive the future, but be able to thrive within it by exploiting the technologies that we have with the plant that we all love and start really lifting up communities sending kids off to college, being able to pay for mortgages, being able to educate those who represent us at the very highest levels of our state or federal governments. By, by continuing to look back at the history and taking that and looking forward to the future, if we can educate those who become our representatives, 
we have a much better opportunity to put laws and, and, and regulations in place that are smart, that are based on reality, not necessarily laws that are currently governing us, you know, through what's happening in Colorado, through Prop 64 here, the laws that are that we're currently being governed by are all based on the lies that have already been disproven within this space. Yet we, as a community, we as the cannabis or uh, you know the cannabis nation, we're being penalized right from the seed at an, an incredible tax because of the misunderstanding and the disinformation that has been used to create acceptance within the legalization framework that is now before us. So hopefully the, the things that we can focus on in the future uh, will help us to create a better understanding uh, that's based in reality and not one that's based in fear. I want to kind of touch on something where you were going with that, and it goes back to the gentleman that was here before, and he brought up corporate interests getting into this space, because it's certainly happening, and we're going to see a lot of big money dropping in here from hedge funds and Wall Street and so forth. And one thing that we prided ourselves at NOCO is building this really from the bottom up with entrepreneurs, with mom and pops, with the little boutique artisan companies and seeing them grow and flourish to become like a big cottage. And I make reference to the craft beer industry and craft wine industry as examples of what we should potentially look at to grow this cannabis space, whether that's on the hemp side or on the medical and recreational side, that we really need to, to have this entrepreneur in this craft, in this cottage, in this boutique base so local communities can thrive, small farmers can thrive, and it doesn't just become big ag, and it doesn't just become Pepsi and Coca-Cola and Walmart and Best Buy. I think it's really important. And I'd like Doug to expand on this because me and Doug have seen eye to eye on this the entire time, and, and I think you've got some really good perspective on this. Yeah, thanks for that, Mars. And uh, before, because that is exactly what I wanted to, to build on what Dan was saying and now you're saying. But before that, I just also want to reiterate what Preston was saying about Mars as the co-founder of this NOCO Hemp Expo and every year I say NOCO, NOCO. Um, it's a ex perfect example of good karma, the way that this event has grown from the couple hundred people that went to the first one to the more than, to the sellout this year, more than 6,000 people or whatever it was. Um, Always, Morrison's partner, Lizzie, and others have been so generous about making sure that new startups that don't have a lot of capital can get a booth. They, they probably give away more and more than they charge for it. Um, that's, that's part of the mentality of recognizing that there's a long-term karmic payoff, because everybody wants to have revenue to be able to feed their, feed their family. It's just about not just grabbing everything as fast as you can while giving the middle finger to the rest of the world and just saying, that's business. That's not business. That's the one mistake a business has made if you want humanity to survive, if you want your kids to survive, basically. Um, so, we knew this was gonna happen. I wrote a book in 2011 called Too High to Fail and it was looking at um, cooperative uh, Emerald Triangle farmers in Northern California growing organic style and um, forming entities to try to 
not only get legislation passed that was good, but also working on uh, joint processing uh, for quality control and all that business. And you, you knew at the time when you were watching this that it was going to be, the craft beer model is a great example, there's going to be Coors and Budweiser of Ganja in your corner store here in San Bernardino. And then there's going to be options that's really family crafted, farmer supporting, cooperatively grown, regionally supporting, soil building. And it's our choice of consumer, as consumers, to decide which of those models we, we want to support. We really have an opportunity to change the model from the default option being going to a box store and buying the cheapest, crappiest blender from made God knows where with no environmental standards to back to the hemp cannabis realm, looking for the farm to table products. It may seem like you're paying a couple more dollars per unit, but pay the grocer now instead of the doctor later um, is, is the way that I uh, look at it. And then the last thing for those of us that are producer that are producers, and I think um, uh, yeah, Rick, I'm sure is in agreement about this now, is that no matter what crop you think you are growing, now, you are a soil farmer from here on in. The way that we sequester carbon from the atmosphere and mitigate climate change is also the way we grow the best herb, and that is by building the microbes in the soil. What's happening? What's happening right here in the months before you plant your crop is at least as important or as impactful of what's going to be coming up over on the other side. And if anybody at any point on the dance floor tomorrow wants to ask me more about that. I'm learning a lot about it, about soil building. And actually, yeah, if you tap my shoulder on the dance floor and I don't know you and say, can we talk soil? I might go, ah! But uh, no, but, but I, I will talk with you. Um, but uh, no, I guess what I'm getting at is it, it's about the little microbes down below the soil. And that, that's, that's, what, that's what we're looking for. Actually, that, that hits home. I'm not, Doug's more hands in the ground farmer than I am. I just helped start a company that does farming. Uh, but I have been to Colombia and seen the organic fields there, and I was at the largest hemp organic field in Germany, in East, well, I guess not in London, Eastern Germany, but what well, was Eastern Germany, uh, and the soil was absolutely incredible, and the, and the food that came out of it, not only the, the, the cannabis, but the food that came out of that soil was tremendous. And it was, I mean, literally in, in Colombia, it was just spongy, like you're walking on and like what I think the moon and the, and the food that came out of it was incredible. So, and we don't have that a lot of places in our country, especially we, we've been to Iowa too many times and we're going back probably too many more, but uh, we should get them past in Iowa hopefully this year, which would be a huge feat. Um, yeah, but we'll see. Uh, good energy to Iowa guys, but uh, the, none of their soil is organic. They don't have an organic option and they have nitrates and all sorts of crap going into their water system in Des Moines, and when we were first there two years ago, they literally had a bill in the legislature to decide between taking money from education or taking money from the farmers to deal with this problem, right? That's a no-win decision in Iowa, right? So you take the from the kids or from the farm, both are critically important in conservative Iowa, and uh, both should be important in every state, but they have a revenue generate, they had a revenue generating option by planting industrial cannabis or you know, by planting cannabis, uh, along the waterway to absorb a lot of those nitrates and, and, uh, and pesticides and herbicides before it gets into the waterway. So, they, And then they could have utilized some of the stock or they could have utilized some parts of that plant in commerce. So they had a way to actually plant a natural product get, and not spend money and get revenue at the end of the year and they didn't because they don't have this plant legal in their state and that's 
stupid, right? And they, and, but they don't get it because they're surrounded by chemicals and I don't think it's coming through. So to Doug's point, the soil is utmost importance and we need a ton of help with our soil all across our country. Uh, we need to turn it back to organic so we can eat healthier and, eat, and, and think better. And, uh, and yeah, so thank you for that. Like the soil is critically important. I, I want to go back to something else Dan was talking about when he mentioned kind of where the current laws are at and the current regulations are at. And it's really confining to what we can potentially do with this plant. And the way I always try to explain things on the net to there's people out there that are pretty fringe and um, like to throw stones within the industry and they think things should happen like right now and you know we have to fight for certain things to you know free the plant, deschedule it. And you know the reality is with the political situation in Washington DC and all these state to state to state, it's just not realistic to think that all of a sudden anybody's gonna be able to grow it, nobody's going to jail, you can do whatever you want, there's no THC limits. This is an incremental process. You know, it's baby steps and we're not there yet. We've got legislation on the federal level that Mitch McConnell just introduced uh, for the industrial hemp side of legalization, uh, pulling it off the Controlled Substances Act. You know, we're pretty hopeful that that's gonna happen. Otherwise, it's gonna get included in the Farm Bill. We're gonna have a lot more freedom than we have had across the country to to grow industrial hemp at 0.3% or below. All of us up here know that this 0.3%, and I know that it's been mentioned several times earlier today, that this is just an arbitrary percentage that really doesn't mean anything. And it all comes down to end use. We are all end use guys. It's gonna take a while to get there. But with that, Dan, you, you've been in this game for a long time. You've been along this train. How much longer do you think it's going to take for us to, to get to that spot where, where Jack's up there and he's smiling and he says it's about fucking time? Well, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, if you ask my, my true opinion, I don't think that I will live to see that. That's, that's my honest opinion. Um, my father, when he started writing about cannabis and hemp, he's like, oh my God, here's the truth. I can expose the truth and all of this that we've been going through for all these years will be over because everybody in the country, everybody in the world would have an understanding that this was all wrong. That they were 100% wrong about this plan and, and we can move forward. That was in the early to mid 80s. Um, we didn't really start getting past the understanding of fear until the Compassionate Care Act uh, became a reality in 1996. And it was at that time that it was, it was people's interaction with those who were truly afflicted with, with issues uh, that could only be dealt with and pain could only be reduced, not necessarily eliminated, but that quality of life uh, for these folks uh, could be addressed with something that wasn't Big Pharma. And it was something that was uh, accessible through the love and understanding and caring and compassion of those who loved them. <laughs>
when people start using compassion, they start opening up their minds because that affects all of us. It doesn't matter whether it's from illness or from accident, uh, from disease. When you start talking about how we are going to deal with this in the future, we have to look at, you know, compassion is, is the first thing that we should look at. Because when people are sick today, and we start looking to our doctors to, to help us out, the very first thing that we should have is the, is the compassion to use this plant first, not, not the, the sense to use this plant at the end of life. It's truly compassionate when you're able to uh, exercise your right to use this plant that has healing properties. Not that that can heal everything. Once we get past that as a, as a society, we can start opening up our mind to education. Well, if it's, if it's so beneficial and useful for those from a compassionate standpoint, maybe there's other things that we can do. Maybe there's other aspects of this plant that we were wrong about. And those things are only gonna happen through continued education and through conti continued vigilance within this space, being ambassadors for this plant on every level. Whether you're looking at industrial hemp because of a classification and you know people are now becoming less fearful of the, the word hemp because it doesn't have THC. This, for the most part, is a bunch of shit. Excuse my language. This is, this is used uh, in, in the space right now to deal with regulations or the perception through government to say, oh, well, since nobody's getting high from this, this is a safer plant. We can deschedule it, but we're still going to control it because it looks so much like the plant that we've all feared for the last 80 years that there still needs to be some sort of control in order for those in our communities to feel safe about it being grown in their communities. We're going to have to continue to educate. I don't know that it's going to happen as fast as I would like, as fast as any of us would like. I think uh, when it comes to what's going to happen with cannabis, what's going to happen with hemp, I think right now it's moving faster every day than I ever thought in my life. The acceptance of it ending up in big box stores, not in favor of big box stores, but what that does is it it brings it into the lives of folks who have spent their entire lives pushing back against this without any knowledge at all. Just with the understanding of the fear that they've been taught over 80 years. We have the opportunity now to remove the willful ignorance of politicians and those who support them by continuing to educate in any and every way that we can to rise up the people within our communities that want to represent us. <clears throat> Whether it's from being uh, a, a local uh, legislator at the state level, at the federal level, if we can educate these folks that represent our communities, whether it's a city councilman, whether it's the mayor, whether it's the policeman, if we educate these folks we have the opportunity to put somebody on the other side of the table when we go up to them and say, look, we're, we're looking to educate and, and, and make acceptable um, access 
to this plant that we all love and 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 use, uh, whether it's internally, topically, uh, medicinally, you know, religiously, you know. But it's it's going to take education, and it's going to take a lot more than we have now because the corporate interests that are coming in aren't really interested in the education behind what the fear has been that's created the access that we have now because we don't we don't have legalization we have paid access we have extortion at the state level and if if something is legal then there shouldn't necessarily be a pathway back to prison or to prison for its use so I don't look at, and I'm sure my father wouldn't look at what's happening now as legalization. But like Morris said, these are steps. These are steps that we're going to have to take in, in, in order to achieve uh, what I hope will be a, a, a more universal understanding. Uh, it's happening, um, but most of the motivation is, is, is being done through uh, the exploitation of the commerce, not the exploitation of the plant. You know, many of the cities and states that, that are involved with uh, the additional taxation on this plant, at the state level, the additional taxation of this plant, they're all based on need. They're based on need for revenue to create jobs, to fix roads, to, you know, support the prison system. They're not based on the reality of how uplifting this plant is to communities. When, when farmers in, in Northern California are growing this plant and they're selling out, and, and they've been selling this plant for decades and generations, they've been bringing that money back to their communities. They've been donating to their churches, to their synagogues, buying food in their grocery stores, putting kids in schools. This is a plant that lifts and, and emboldens communities to, to work together, to love one another, and, and to build something that most people would, would throw rocks at because of the understanding that it's coming and being derived from cannabis. It's going to take a long time to get past that with this lack of education and understanding uh, even within our within our own community, there's a lot of folks in this community that have started coming in, but they don't understand the history, they don't understand the ground in which they stand, or the ground in which they're building their companies now. They know that there's a financial benefit, and they're looking for that new place. And I don't begrudge them for that, but I'm, I'm hoping that as they develop, because the one thing about this plant that's addicting is not the flower, it's the community. And it's the thing that I love most about this plant. These people that are sitting here and all of you out there, you're the reason why I'm here. It's not the plant, it's the people that love this plant and do the best thing they can with it. How much time we got left? Happy 420, everybody, by the way. Hey. Is, is it that time? It's exactly 420. Uh, <laughs> hey there. Ho there. How about that? Can I just... I did that on purpose. That was a yeah. little nod to my dad. I mean, to the minute. Stop right at 4... 
just just a quick uh, just a quick accent I, on on uh, something Dan said something Rick said. First of all, Dan's point about uh, I, I'll, I'll take a I don't disagree with anything Dan said, but I'll take a slightly more optimistic outlook and say that we who are involved in cannabis hemp now have a disproportionate influence in the direction that the industry grows. All bets are off. There is no reason why cannabis hemp has to launch any place on this planet in the same way that any other business has ever launched. In other words, if we go in and we say, actually, we are, we are, we want no regulation at all. Everybody should be allowed to do it. Or there must be certain standards for healthy soil and environmental standards on the industry. Otherwise, you can't enter the industry. Our voices are being heard because there are, we're in it early and then there are so many fewer of us. The other thing I wanted to act, uh, other point I wanted to access is this issue of what uh, we all kind of have been calling hashtag one plant, that there is no delineation or separation between whatever your word is, whether it's ganja or hemp or cannabis or whatever. Rick kind of made this point, but just to, just to clarify so you folks all know what we're talking about here. The ex-governor of my state of New Mexico, and by the way, my state of New Mexico just legalized hemp the day before yesterday. Mm -hmm. So, uh, he, um, that's Gary Johnson, ex-governor of New Mexico. His first cannabis venture was a very low THC mint aimed at older folks who wanted to get the, the, the entourage effect. Does everybody know what I mean by that? Is there anybody who doesn't know what I mean by that? Entourage effect. Okay, so that's the interplay of all the different elements in the plant. In other words, rather than just taking out THC or taking out CBD or taking out a terpene, the whole plant's impact and the whole plant effect. He recognized that, and so he, his, they were mints for older folks to take for arthritis that had a little bit of THC, technically more than today's definition of hemp, but not much, which meant that somebody was cultivating so-called ganja with very, very, very low THC. Another side of it, the reason why I'm wearing hemp made, up, made in China today is because it's the highest quality hemp at the moment for, for textiles because... Anybody know? I do. You, know, you tell us why. Why is it so... How's THC in that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they don't limit the THC in their fiber plants. So THC should... Maybe we should have another hashtag. THC is irrelevant. Something like that. The only time THC should matter at all, and then in RE and Evo Hemp's business too, there's some studies that are showing that hemp seeds have higher protein if the flower itself comes from a plant that has healthy levels of THC in it. But in your seeds and your seed oil and your protein, the things you feed your kids and your babies, in my case, your goats, it's a, there's no THC in that seed oil. So it should be completely, from a legal standpoint, the legal end game is if you're shipping from your factory a product that somebody, that the locality decides is above a threshold of THC, that's fine. But you should be able to grow a 30% THC plant for fiber or seed if the flower isn't leaving that facility to go to, for people to decarboxylate, you know what I mean, to smoke or whatever. Can I just, this is, this is where, this is the extra two, two minutes that I'm going to, like, if we're going to get all the way here, talk about THC and regulating, I'm also just gonna say THC is completely safe. You cannot overdose on THC. THC, cannabis has never caused an overdose in the history of humanity. 
stop being dumb, THC is fine, we don't need to regulate it any more than anything else. You get it from your mother's breast that's made by human right, right after you're born, so it's completely fine. We are, we're all the way to THC, let's regulate it, blah, blah, blah. No, we don't need to regulate it, it's, it's fine, it's safe. So that's my two minutes. But the reality is there's regulations that we're still gonna have to plow through here over the, the coming years. And it's gonna take a vigilant effort, like Dan said, from everybody that's involved in this space that wants to see the future of this plant as free as possible from the grips of government. And we do not need government controlling the most beneficial, most genetically diverse plant on this planet that truly can be one of the saving graces the tree of life for humanity. So thank you guys. Appreciate it. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. And make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution. Like us, and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and thanks for joining the iHempRevolution. Revolution.